So if if our systems constantly sell corn on a wrong moment, then we try to find out what's going wrong here, what, what's happening here, why, why is this this, why don't we get good information from that market? And when we do things like that, we look at what's fundamentally happening there, and that can lead to some change in the structure of the system or make another uh, synthetic market to be able to read better the underlying thing. Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged, where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Before we begin today's conversation, remember to keep two things in mind. All the discussion we'll have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their product before you make investment decisions. Now, let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. <laughs> what we strive to do. So Harold, you mentioned a little bit about risk premia and I thought we'd turn towards trend. And I think this is something that I, I think that I know in the past I've heard you talk a lot about how trans trend is focused on pure trend and on divergent trading. So I thought it'd be nice if you could kind of give us a glimpse into that philosophy and and how you explain that and 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 how that runs through your investment process and 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 the the people on your investment team and the, the pure trend is, is is somehow um the, the the meaning of the term has changed i would say we were a pure trend follower because everything we do is aiming at capturing trends and do that as maximum as possible and doesn't matter where they are uh, look look at it from a trend perspective, not from a market perspective. We want to be in the oil trend that is there and there. We want to be in the trend that is caused by people buying more things on the internet instead of in, 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 in the old-fashioned shops. Okay, you can pick it up there and you can pick it up there. That's the kind of trends we, we are in. Pure trend nowadays has kind of become to, we do it with a simple trading rule that is available to everyone. Well, we have never used one of the available trading rules and we only apply it on the most uh, mainstream markets. That is nowadays called pure trend. So, in that sense, we are not pure trend at all anymore because the meaning of pure trend has changed. Has changed. We have definitely. Been, we have That's exactly been, right, you know, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, Very well we put. started <laughs> by trading palm oil uh, as the first markets. I think uh, that is one of the last markets added in the pure trend traders, what nowadays is called pure trend. So, what this pure trend nowadays really is, is can we do it cheap with more negative alpha? Because it costs already, uh, but you do it less well. And then can we maybe uh, from outside get the other markets and add that on top? But that doesn't, of course, function because the, the way you position yourself in the ruble, if that is one of the markets that is not in your pure trend thing, that should, of course, be dependent on how large your position in the oil market is. But if your oil market is in this pure trend cheap thing and the ruble is in another portfolio then these two things are not making one thing so you have at least one inefficiency there so instead of avoiding inefficiency you're adding inefficiency so are we pure trend yes or no we thought we were but then the meaning of the word changed uh, <laughs> so, so, so we don't use the word pure trend anymore so how about the concept of divergence 
um, this idea that you're not adding non-trend focused strategies into your into your portfolio. So yeah. not mean reversion and and maybe not some carry and, and other issues like that. So what's your view on that and how do you... Well, I'd, I'd like to concentrate one investment program on one style, one idea, and, and to do that optimally. Things get complex if you are kind of mingle it with different ideas. Uh, and I, I think the ultimate investor should not invest everything in one investment program, not only long stocks, and in long stocks, not only long value. You should have different investment styles, and you can combine those things. But within every style, that should be optimized so that you get that that better as efficient as possible. So I think we, we serve our, our clients best by offering something that is really on this trend thing and getting into the trend and making optimal benefit optimally from the trend and do that in as many as possible markets, not because we want to trade as many as possible markets, but because we want to be in as many as possible different trends and be sizable invested in those different trends. That is something that we are offering. And we are aware that uh, the performance of a mixed thing may look better. But that is something that the ultimate client should do. The ultimate client should combine pure trend or real trend or whatever you want to name. <laughs> but complete the complete trend thing with something else that is the complete carry thing and something else that is the complete value thing. And then you can, as ultimate client, you can make the things you want. But you should not. No one is served by something that does a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that, and someone else does some do a little bit of the things too. Because combining these two investment managers is not going to work. If there was only one investment manager, then you should com- put all these things in there. But luckily, there are many different investment managers. So going down that same line, I mean, you you just mentioned the markets, and and I I remember um, many years ago one of the things that. Transfer has always been well known for is just how many trends they trade and how many markets they trade. And that trend has definitely, and not to use the tr- word trend too many times here, has really gone into other managers and definitely other people have been saying some similar things. I just wanted to hear, A, if you could give us a little bit of background on how you thought about, say, synthetic markets and multiple markets. And secondly, what are the new cool markets that you're thinking about? What are some of the trend ideas that that you think are are really cool these days, as opposed to yeah, okay? Last well, few well years synthetic, ago? synthetic markets is, is is very simple, and most people are aware. But if you look at the portfolio level, traditionally, many of the futures markets around in the world were all expressed in dollar. So you could say we have a position here in the euro and the British pound and in the in those days the D-mark, not in the euro, and in the and in, in the Japanese yen and in the Aussie dollar, and we have a position in copper and in oil, and we have a position in uh, bonds and but at one side of it was the dollar. And if you look from a portfolio perspective, there was the dollar in all your trends. So if there was a very li- nice energy trend which, let's say, energy markets are really rising together with a dollar rise, but you express your energy in the dollar, then you cannot really benefit from it. So the very simple thing is to make sure why should everything be in in dollar? Well, the very simple... The, some of the first synthetics we did immediately when we started trading was the D-mark versus the yen. No one trades it anymore, of course, because the D-mark doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but at that moment, there was no direct futures contract in it. So we traded in a combined way. Combined the D-mark versus the dollar versus the yen versus the dollar. 
and then you make those two things into, and you have, and you can trade the DMARC first again, which is just as well a normal thing that can have a trend as that the dollar first yen does so, or that the dollar first the DMARC did. Nowadays, everyone does the euro, and the euro yen is now a direct futures contract in it, because it happens with more of these synthetics we used to do that <laughs> ultimately it becomes a market. But it did exist already as a market, it just didn't happen to be a future market for it. So this was one type of the things we were doing. Nothing changed, but the big advantage of it is that we can have a big position in oil markets, long, without necessarily having to have a big short dollar next to it. Uh, and that means you have more ways of being positions in different trends without having this big big one concentration. If you look at it from a top level and say, okay, this is commodities and this is currencies. So in commodities, there is no currency risk. Okay, if, if you say there is no currency risk and you believe there is no currency risk, then there will be no currency risk. But I think if this the dollar move, gold versus dollar tends to move, not because something in gold is happening. So it's just currency risk in there too. So this is one of the ways of doing it and making sure the things are there. But then also the more different things are, let's say one of the ones that is very, one of the synthetics that is very popular the last few months is the yield curve of flattening. Well, this is something you, this is a trend you can very simple trade by combining two interest rate instruments for longer term and the shorter term. We trade that trend. And yes, the last, for the last few months, we are in a yield flattening trend. So maybe you still up your trend because you're actually what you're describing here is you, if I understand correctly, is that you're trying to really hone in on what is the trend you want to trade. Yes, that's what, it. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's why we were looking at that, and and so often it. There was a time that we were what too much just adding markets. That wasn't the right way, because if. Uh, an other instrument just offers a less efficient way of trading the same trend, you better cannot add it. You better can trade larger in the, in the other ways. But if you want to, let's say, uh, in, in, the, in, in the crops, that of course that is where still our background is, protein can have a different trend than the energy part of a crop. Uh, cows need protein and uh, pigs need cow protein and, and chicken need uh, protein. But that trend can really be different from the energy part. So every, everyone that has a feedlot uh, has, a, has a, a program that says, I need so much energy for my cows and so much protein and so much uh, of this and then how to do that. So the protein trend can be different. Well, by combining some different crops, you can make the protein trend that is not sensitive to the weather. Because if there's a drought on the field, the protein-rich uh, crops, as well as the less uh, protein-rich uh, crops, both have the same drought. But the underlying trend is the more do people want blue farmers, it's mostly farmers that are looking for the protein because the people ask it from the farmers, but the farmers have to find it to put it into their animals because animals don't make protein themselves. They, it has to be fed to them. So <laughs> that trend can be traded with synthetics. So we use synthetics for that. Uh, and that, that's the way we look at the markets. What's happening? Where's happening something? Is there... Is this 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 could become a trend? Maybe it isn't trend, but this could become a trend. Is there a market direct available for it? Yes. Okay. Can we trade it? Can we trade it large enough? Oh, is there another way we can trade it? Uh, no. Uh, can we do it in a synthetic way, or is it not 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 directly a market for available? Then we have to make a synthetic, but have to be, to combine the synthetic such that it is able to catch the trend. But we don't start with markets and see whether there is a trend. No, we want to capture trends. 
and we use markets to be able to participate in that trend because we as traders are in that sense very limited persons. The only thing we can profit from a trend is by trading in a market. We can have no other way of doing so. So we have to position ourselves in markets, but we can make our own markets on a synthetic way. I mean, just out of curiosity, when you think about trends, trend, and obviously I, I accept that you don't know what everyone else is doing, but 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 I'm sure investors are looking for, you know, what's the differentiating factor about trends, trend? What is the unique thing you do compared to some of the other great names out there what what would you say if someone asked you you know what what's unique about you because what you explain is things that i really haven't come across uh in 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 all my conversations and in you know quite a few years in this industry it, it's a different way of thinking of things so i mean yeah how do much, you much, very much is the same and and if you look at For instance, last year, uh, 2017 it was, if you look at the performance of DTP and you compare it with a trend index, for instance, most of the time it's, it's very much, uh, almost the same. It's very highly correlated. But so every now and then it it makes a turn. It really becomes different. If you look at the last half of last of August, then it was really making a difference. Because then stock market starts to come down, especially in the US, especially banks in in, uh, in in Europe, more stock markets came down, and DTP seems to be faster in picking up that that downtrend, going building up shorts, building up really other positions in in, in different markets that typically trend when stopping in stock markets is happening. So the program was really up different things, and for a period. We saw, we could almost see, okay, if the Nasdaq is going up today, then you can be sure that the trend index will be much better than DTP. And if the Nasdaq is going down today, you can be sure. <laughs> that is, uh, so in that, that, two, that, that last half of August and the first half of September, there was this very big difference there. And after that, not anymore, because and it was in, in the second half of September, the, the, of already from the second week of September, the stock markets moved up strong again. So we were underperforming at that moment. But it's just just because this this willingness to be ready for the short trend in stocks and, and do that in all kinds of ways. And we helped, synthetics helped in making that possible by picking up those trends quickly. By... It was not all stock markets coming down. In, in, in the US, it was the, the banks and the financials were coming down, but others, especially not not the the IT stocks, surely not the technology stocks. Not if you trade only the broad indices, it's different than when you trade single stocks and sector indices, which we are doing. So that's also a way that you can better participate in, in such a changing trend. Yeah. So I mean, it's, that's clearly been things, yeah. yeah, I mean, and there's clearly been a lot of return dispersion, even um, yeah. among managers who. I think for most people, think well, they're all trend followers, so they must be doing the same thing. But, but clearly, that's not. Uh, that's but not especially the case. not in the in the in the in the in the situations when uh, really something is right. happening. So in the the first quarter of 2016, there was also a period the stock markets came down from China uh, downtrend came then, and then you see a much more difference between one CTA and the other CTA around Brexit. Same thing. How are our CTAs responding to that? One does it different than the other one. Execution is an important role in that. Uh, things like uh, standard execution that you can do with, with broker algorithms. Okay, you can use them in normal circumstances. It doesn't matter that much. But in the 
extreme circumstances, then it makes a whole lot of difference whether you have execution strategy, especially designed to do well in that kind of environments, like a Brexit environment, like what happened after a Trump election, then you get these wild market moves. How are your execution algorithms working with that? The standard broker algorithms don't cope very well with that. So you very quickly lose something on it. And that's exactly in the periods that you want to be invested in a trend-following CTA, because that's the periods that CTAs should do well, especially the trend-following CTAs. Just on a completely different, uh, just completely away from all the technical stuff, on a on a maybe on a more basic level, um, but it might say something also about how you are different. Does everyone in Transfer speak Dutch? Yes. So clearly there is a, and I don't know whether that means everyone is or are Dutch, but 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 thinking about that, which is uh, unique because a lot of firms put together kind of quite international teams. Does that change not only your culture, but also the way you think about things? Yeah, maybe it's not only Dutch, but that helps it a little bit. More important is we have no one in the team that has worked for another CTA. So everyone is fresh and uh, original thinkers. We, yeah. uh, that may, the few may not always be good, but at least it's a different view. We are not, uh, you have these people that travel from one, from one to one, and then we, we sometimes hear investors saying that they've just visited four or five CTAs and everywhere they had the same story, and then they come in our office and they hear a different story. Yeah, that, that can happen because it's different people, real different people that have not... We want people to have original views and look at the market themselves and see what's really happening and not read a book and try to program that because we want the people to be thinking people that look at it, see what's happening there, look at the cows, what are they doing. Yeah. And that's that's what you should do. Yeah. No. And and not, okay, I know the trick, so I'm going to do the same thing there. That That's not uh, our style. So Harold... I've had the pleasure of seeing you speak a few times, which I quite enjoyed. I know you also write a lot of white papers and, and some commentary, which I think one of my favorite presentations you gave was on distribution of returns and on risk and uncertainty. If you could give us just a little flavor of you know some of the topics that you find exciting or maybe some of the research that, that you have spent some time kind of using to help communicate your philosophy, that I think that would be... We, we would love to hear a little bit, a tidbit of that. So. Yeah, it's, it's often that it's... Um, but what often happens is that uh, we we see some things and we think, hey, this is this is moving in a different direction. And by having... Let's look at this from another side and see see how it works. So uh, on, on a website that last week, we, we wrote a story in which we compared drawdowns versus volatility. And and the, the big story, still many people think larger volatility leads to larger drawdowns. And that is a natural thing in the sense that it's like speed skating. Uh, if you go fast, you can fall hard. But if you climb back up your feet very fast, quickly, then you will get back to the rest and no harm is done. But if you don't go fast, you will get more and more behind the rest. And if you then fall and you, it takes a long time, oh, everything hurts. And, oh. and then when you have finally climbed up, you start to slow to skate slowly because uh, it hurts still a little bit and maybe I don't want to fall again. And oh, something is over there that doesn't look that good. Let's, let's go a little bit slower. And yeah, then you get behind more and more. 
in trading it's the same thing if if you are what is normal i said already but what is normal is low volatility should not lead to to a large drawdown if low volatility does lead to a low, uh, large drawdown then something is fundamentally wrong there should be speed volatility is speed you shouldn't fall but that's you should know your technique but you there should be speed only that way you can make money volatility is is no guarantee for return but it is necessary for return and that that is something that we all of us have so much like the idea lower volatility is better can we have the same return with a lower volatility it would be great yeah, but if I could fly with my hands, it would be great too. But it's not very uh, feasible that it's going to happen. Uh, some people tried it in the past, but I think they didn't survive. Uh, so it's it's better to be more realistic and think, okay, if we want to do well, if we want performance, then we should have speed. And we shouldn't fall. But we should have speed. Uh, and, and that's a way of looking at it. Hey, how can, how can we do that? And there are many things is needed for that. But it starts with the idea of accepting okay, with low speed, we're never going to make it. If we, if we want to, so with low volatility, the, the returns we made in 2007, 2008, uh, yes, they were good, but there was much higher volatility than we saw in 2011, 2012, 2013. Uh, but in those years, we made a deep drawdown. Mm. So it's, uh, uh, but many people are so much in this standard thing, okay, volatility means risk, risk means drawdowns, and it's all one thing. No, it's not. Concentrate on is volatility is it a bad thing or a good thing? Volatility is a good thing. Is risk a good thing or a bad thing? Risk is a very good thing because it's our only source of return. So the more risk in the market, the more we prefer it. <laughs> so don't walk away from that. Drawdowns is not such a good thing. So we better try to avoid those. Instead of calling it all the same thing, and then you have just one button that you can oh leverage high, leverage lower. That doesn't work. I mean, I think personally, I think it's really key what you're bringing out there, and 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 this, you know, this this notion that people think that low volatility programs are are less risky, and and that that volatility equals risk, which it doesn't. Yet I'm surprised by the fact that a lot of investors prefer the low volatility products, and therefore a lot of the big managers have gone low vol, become very big, uh, and obviously you know that has certain advantages uh, for them. But uh, as, as, as certainly some of, of our other guests have said, you know, it usually doesn't help the investor. Um, but the investor can very, it's a very easy way for an investor to get lower volatility. If you want half the volatility, yeah. you place half the money on the yeah. bank and the other half you give to the manager. It's, it's much more uh, efficient. Unless, I mean, unless you do not trust the bank, of course. Right, of course. Well, <laughs> well the, 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 the crisis you had to choose uh, carefully when you, uh, when you went to your bank, that's for sure. Now, I mean, I think it's great that you do these papers, um, and I think it's great that Katie brought up one of them. Uh, another one I, I seem to remember, I think it appeared maybe in CTA Intelligence. It was a, so, so you talk a lot about cows, but I have, a, I have a feeling you're also a secret bird watcher. Because you wrote about the starlings, yeah. and uh, and I want you to tell that story a little bit, maybe how you how you can how you describe what they do in in a way that that actually relates pretty much to to what we do as trend followers. Yeah, not only trend followers as investors. This is this this whole idea of passive and active investing, and especially in the Netherlands, there's a lot of people, even some uh, regulators, that think that passive investing is better. And the whole thing is 
they the the only proof is look because they do not outperform the index. Active should investors should outperform the index. In a world in which you think that markets are not there's not something like market impact, so what people are doing in the market has no impact on what the market is doing, then you could say that makes sense. But the problem is the market is completely determined by what people are doing. And that's comparable with a flock of birds and starlings. An individual starling is never going to reach, uh, when he has to go in the winter, he wants to go uh, to the south, he's never going to find his destination. No single starling has the ability to find, to reach his destination. The main thing all the starlings do is keep equal distance to the bird in front of them, above them, below them, left and right of them. They keep almost equal distance, almost constant distance. That's the way, and that's why you have seen these, these in, uh, above Rome, you see it often, these very big groups of starlings that make these great moves, and you would think, well, they have a, a very good ballet teacher that tells them what kind of choreography they have to make, but no, what you just do is keep on following the ones that keep the distance very close. That is, in essence, what, what a passive investor also does. Do just like the rest, stay with the rest. But if the birds would only do that they would never find the destination also. There has to be something else. And the other thing is, there's a lot of birds that know a little bit. Some birds recognize the stars. Others recognize sto- uh, coastlines. Others recognize buildings. Others, especially when they're burden, they know something like uh, north-south. Uh, somehow they feel it. Others recognize how the sun reflects on, 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 on clouds and so on. There's, there are a lot of birds that know something. That information is not always worth something, because if you recognize the coastline, but you're far away from the coastline, that bird has no information at that moment. But it doesn't matter. There's a lot of birds that know something. And they've done a mathematical study with it, and they found out that if the amount of birds that has valid information every moment is at least as large as the square root of the total number of birds, then they will find the destination. Well, with 100 starlings, it means that you need 10 of them to have invalid information. That's too much. Starlings are not uh, uh, equipped enough for that. So with 100 starlings, they don't make it. But if you have 10,000 starlings, only one out of every 100 needs to have valid information. And then they make it. And if there's one million, it's even better. Only one out of thousand needs something. What are these birds doing? Well, the one that recognizes the, 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 the coastline moves a little bit to the left if he sees. And the other ones, hey, he's doing that way. And they, they follow. If they don't know better, they just follow them. It's not one, but enough of them have to do it. And then it works. Are these birds wanting to outfly the others? Are they going to beat the index? But you would say, no, of course not. But if they didn't do it, the whole flock wouldn't come there. An active investor never has tried to beat an index. That's not a real active investor. There are investors that try to beat an index, but those ones you should forget. Those ones are also passive investors. They are just doing like the rest. They get very close to it and do it with moving the market a little bit and then think, look, we have done better. But no, that's not where investing about is about. If investing is about... If you are investing in stocks, do I think that Nokia phones are going to be the successful much more years of is it going to be the, uh, the iPhone? Well, it totally became iPhone. If passive investors, everyone would still have a lot of Nokia in their portfolio and much less iPhone, much less Apple. Uh, it's active investors that are needed for that. And they determine where everyone is going. And it's a part of doing something. 
well, trend followers, you could say, some people would say, well, but you are the worst type of birds because you just fly with the rest. <laughs> hey, that's, that's what trend followers are doing. <laughs> yeah, in, in a lot of aspects, we are. But in some aspects, we are not. One of the things we do, for instance, is recognizing that um, it all uh, becomes too much one big trend, uh, too much of a concentration. When you see, when, when for instance, uh, in the, around 2000, this was one big technology check, this, this, this uh, IT bubble, or the, the internet bubble, it was called those years. Something like that is recognized, and we know, okay, it becomes too big of a risk concentration, so we get out of that instead of going bigger into it, same uh, coming towards 2007, the banks and the whole thing was also one big trend. The banking stocks were becoming bigger and bigger and bigger in the indices. So the passive investors were investing more and more in banks, blowing this one bubble, while trend-following CTAs like us, who look at their risk concentrations, realize, hey, this is going to be two birds of a risk concentration, so we size down those positions. In that sense, we are doing something. And of course, we are also looking always whether uh, what we are doing, whether it fits with what is really happening in the underlying world. So if, if our systems constantly sell corn on a wrong moment, then we try to find out what's going wrong here, what, what's happening here, why, why, is this, this, why don't we get good information from that market? And when we do things like that, we look at what's fundamentally happening there, and that can lead to some change in the structure of the system or make another uh, synthetic market to be able to read better the underlying thing. So then we are looking at, I wouldn't say the stars, but we are looking at what's happening there. What are the, um, I mean, as we sit here in, in, in the beginning of, of 2018, I mean, what are the what are the opportunities that you see for you know for you as a business for for uh, for this as an industry? I mean, are you more or less uh, optimistic than a year ago? <laughs> uh, I, I see. Uh, last year wasn't even that good, but um, the, the things the things are changing. More, the trends are more becoming more different. Uh, stock markets, you could see it already. It was not one big uptrend. One stock market and other stock markets were completely were trading much more different way. The, uh, and it has to do with this whole trend of people are aware that it's not being controlled by central bank or by whatever. Uh, no one has control anymore. It's, it's just there is more people following something. Uh, also a strange hype like Bitcoin at this moment, for instance. But that's typical. Uh, people are running behind different ideas again. And in itself, that is a good environment for, for trend-following strategies, such things happening. So as long as the stock markets keep on rising like they did last year, then everyone will still think we don't need CTAs. But if, <laughs> if, if you do see a reaction in that, and that can happen. It can happen next year. It can happen. can make two, two or three more years. But we have had a period in which they just continuously kept on rising. If that changes... Uh, I, I think trend-following CTAs, are, and, and especially, I know how we are responding to it. We will be able to, to do well, and things can happen. And where it comes from, yeah, uh, I think the, the role of China is very important. This is of growing importance. So uh, if you look at the dollar versus other currencies at the moment, it starts by looking at what is dollar doing versus RMB. So that kind of things are important. So how look how commodities are moving, the, the, the base metals, for instance. 
it's not uh, waiting till the British start on LME to see what the copper is doing. No, that happened already in the night in, in China's time. So in that sense, there's this thing's changing. Other things will change as well. The, the world is not standing still. It's, it is, there's a lot of things is happening and it often will result in trends. And many of those trends could be interesting for trend-following CTAs. So uh, maybe we turn it the other direction too, because this would be interesting to hear your perspective. But what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that that you know you worry about, or changes in the industry that that you wonder how that would impact? Now, up at night, I, I see that somehow regulators over the years have always been very good in making the next um, how's that called? Uh, 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 not a structural, um, a systemic risk. Um, by uh, let's say there's a passive bubble that is at the moment, which is also really, especially in Europe, stimulated by this uh, regulation thing. All people that have to use a value at risk model, for instance, and look how much money is there that has a value at risk limitation on it. The value at risk models used for it are good in normal circumstances, but absolutely not good in extreme circumstances. So if you get a very big move, as a result, value at risk fast will go up. Because of that, investors, uh, investment managers will have to liquidate positions, which makes the things worse. So this, this value at risk that has become more and more adapted and, and are used more and more by all kinds of investors, it has become a, a systemic risk. And there's other types of these things as well. So it's 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 uh, it's dangerous. The, the the amount of passive money that's going around, the amount of money that's flying into a pretty limited number of uh, broker execution strategies is a risk. But there's all kind of regulation that makes it harder to use your own strategies because if you use your own strategies, you have all kind of compliance issues that uh, that makes it harder. So as a result, more and more money is into this limited amount of, of strategies, broker strategies. There's nothing wrong with the strategy itself, but if 100 different market participants for complete different reasons, with a complete different investment style, are selling the same market, using the same strategy, then in effect it's one big order, instead of 100 different market participants each doing their own thing. And that creates systemic risk again. So that, that's, that's the thing that I said, well... It may look like nice because we haven't had an extreme thing in the last few years, but all kinds of regulations has led to a situation in which there is a lot of hidden systemic risk that can come out when something is really moving. So that, that is something that, yeah, you have to be very aware of that. Mm, very true. What, what do you think sort of, what do you think the best question that, investors could could be asking themselves right now i mean what what should they what should they what should they be asking themselves when they look at their investments so to speak the, the, the thing then is are they ready for if something goes wrong and the, the risk management risk management is that is something that's done by anticipation not by response many people think okay well i i do feel that the stocks are much too high at this moment and uh, I think, uh, yeah, it should be wise if I sell something, but uh, I wait till it happens. Yeah, but the more people are doing that, then, then it doesn't function anymore. So you should, every investor should constantly be aware, the positions that I have right now, are that the position that I do want to have if 
this thing that could happen will happen. If not, then you have to adjust your position before that and not think you can do it in that situation because in that situation, given the changes that are happening in market with these value risk models and so on, the chance that you can do it in a reasonable way in that situation is becoming much less likely than it used to be. That that's market have changed in that way. So Harold, if if you had sort of one final thought to leave with, uh, you know, an investor or an aspiring, um, you know, CTA or, or or trader, what 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 would you say to them? I, I would say to any investor that whatever you are invested in, are you invested in something that whatever is going to happen, you can say okay. I'm invested in that for a good reason, and I knew that's why I have it. Not like, okay, uh, maybe I'm lucky and does all right now. I have this for this reason, and does it do what I have it for? And that, that makes investing for an investor also much easier. If if you say that, uh, let's say if, if, you, if you are invested because uh, you want to become a, a, a millionaire at the moment that... Uh, let's say uh, Sven Kramer, which is a very good Dutch ice skater, wins a gold medal on the Olympic Games. Then you should do a different investment than if you want to make money when the stock markets are rising. And your investment should be aimed at what you're looking for. And if you are investing in Sven Kramer winning the Olympic Games, then you also know if he doesn't win, what can happen? He once just wrote the wrong round. Uh, <laughs> if he does something like that, then you should also know, okay, I have no reason to be disappointed because uh, I chose to invest on him. And if it doesn't work out, then okay, that's, that's the gamble I took. I, I invested for because I expected him to win. If he doesn't win, then I don't make money. That, that's what investing is about. Are you aiming at the thing that you want and not... I want to make money in every circumstance, that's not going to happen. So are you aiming at, in what circumstance do you expect this one to profit? In what circumstance do I want that thing to profit? If it doesn't profit in the circumstances you are expected it to profit, then you have a problem. Excellent, Harold. On that Olympic uh, sort of theme, on that note, let's wrap up this fascinating conversation recorded live here in Miami, as some of you probably heard, with a little bit of background noise from time to time, but that's what happens when, when you do it live. Harold, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your thoughts and experiences with Katie and me. It's so important to have practitioners like you to share these ideas because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change happens. And to all our listeners around the world, let me finish by saying that I hope you got a lot of value from today's conversation and that you enjoyed it as much as Katie and I enjoyed making it for you. And if you did, please share these episodes with your friends and colleagues so that the conversation can continue. From me, Niels Kostroblasen and Katie Kaminsky, thanks for listening. And we look forward to being back with you on the next episode of Top Traders Unplugged. And in the meantime, go check out all the amazing free resources that you can find on our website. Ready to learn more about the world's top traders? Go to toptradersunplugged.com and sign up to receive the full transcripts of the first 10 episodes of the show and visit the show notes where you can find useful links to other amazing resources. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Top Traders Unplugged.